0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And always a pleasure to welcome back to the show, Mohamed Elarian, Chief Economic Advisor for Allianz and also Global Senior Fellow at the Lauder Institute for Management and International Studies at the Wharton School. Mohamed, great to catch up with you. Uh, You've been a very busy man with all of this stuff going on right now. Hope you've been able to do well through all of it.
1: Yes, thank you, Dan. It's been a fascinating time.
0: Yeah, so I, I want to start with maybe the latest news, uh, and and that was last night with the comments of, of Peter Navarro about the China trade deal on Fox. He makes the comment that it sounded like he was saying that the trade deal with China was off, then obviously gets pulled back really, uh, really quickly. How does this relationship between the United States and and China potentially continue to, to develop, especially with COVID-19 hanging over it?
1: It's a very complex relationship. It's one that involves not just economic issues, but also health issues, and most importantly, national security issue. I view it as a very bumpy relationship, um, and we are most likely going to see more decoupling than recoupling going forward. But it's going to go, um, and it's going to be very volatile. And for a simple reason is that it's not just the direct impact of the relationship. Each side is looking at the indirect impact and having an eye on domestic variables. And that's exactly what you saw play out overnight. I think a comment that says obviously that things are much more difficult with China over COVID issues had a massive impact on markets that then had to be walked back pretty quickly, because um, the administration is rightly concerned that market volatility could add to economic volatility.
0: So and the idea of a phase two deal, that's obviously something that, that President Trump was uh, has been talking about. You've mentioned it with me in the past, that it's, it was going to be a challenge. But I think getting it done in the wake of this pandemic, at least right now, is extremely challenging.
1: Oh, absolutely first and foremost, because China will not be importing as much as it said it would be, so it will not be fulfilling a key element of phase two. But more broadly, I think that this COVID shock has brought out two issues that are going to be with us for a while. One is mistrust, two is deglobalization. There's mistrust about China's willingness to be a responsible global player. That's how the U.S. sees it. And not sharing information on COVID in a timely basis is taken as an indication of that. And then we're gonna have deglobalization. I think you're gonna see companies and governments put a lot more emphasis on resilience as opposed to efficiency. And that's gonna mean a reshoring and a localizing of supply chains that were previously in China.
0: Yeah, that that seems is the, one of the big questions right now is whether or not you are going to see more companies look to to bring manufacturing back to the United States, or at least to you know to closer to the U.S. to be able to to more easily be able to handle a lot of those operations.
1: I think you will, and I think it's going to be a natural tendency of companies putting more emphasis on resilience. We've seen it with balance sheet; it is absolutely amazing how much cash companies have built up on their balance sheet. Yeah. They've borrowed in the bond market, they've drawn out credit line. And there's a very big emphasis right now and focus on let's make sure we can navigate more uncertainty in the global economy.
0: Give us your sense of Wall Street right now and, and I heard a comment the other day talking about whether or not it was overbought at this point. I mean you have the Nasdaq over ten thousand, P is nearing thirty two hundred at this point. Give us your thoughts.
1: So it is certainly disconnected, not just from the actual economy, but the prospective economy. But it is disconnected, I think, for understandable reasons. And that is the impact of policies, and most importantly, the impact of central banks. We have seen an incredible injection of liquidity by central banks. We have seen the Fed do things that were unthinkable, including buying junk bonds. And the marketplace is reassured that it has the Fed behind it, is reassured that it has a non-commercial player, that means someone that's not sensitive to price, with a very big balance sheet because of a printing press in the basement. And that assurance has allowed a lot of risk taking, not just by the marketplace but also by issues of debt. The big question for me, Dan, is do we get bankruptcies? Do we get capital impairments? Because the one thing that the Fed cannot protect investors from is capital impairments.
0: I saw a few days ago you discussing this idea of, of zombie markets. Take us into what those are. So part of
1: the unintended consequences of the Fed getting more and more involved in markets, buying more and more assets, influencing other people's decision, is that the price mechanism no longer plays the role it has played historically. That of signaling proper risk in the economy, and because of that, allocating efficiently the economy's savings. And the concern that lots of us have is that the more the central banks get involved in the functioning of market, the more we're going to lose what makes a market system so unique, and that is the functioning of the
0: price system. So then what role does the Fed, do you think, need to play at this point, considering they've, they, they have put so much into this over the last couple of months?
1: And that's the problem, is that they've put so much in that there's no exit. And the market loves liquidity, The market loves this notion that you can elevate asset prices further and further away from fundamentals. So, the Fed is in a lose-lose-lose situation. If it stays where it is now, it will inflict greater and greater damage on markets. If it does more, negative interest rates, for example, Mm -hmm. yield curve control, things that are being discussed, then that will damage the market system even more. But if it tries to get out, there's a chance that market volatility then undermines economic prosperity. I think what the Fed has to hope for, what we all have to hope for, is a handoff from excessive reliance on monetary policy to a much wider comprehensive pro-growth policy stance.
0: We're joined by Mohammed El-Aryan, uh, who is a Chief Economic Advisor for Aliens, also a Global Senior Fellow at the Lauder Institute for Management and International Studies at uh, the Wharton School. So then where is your mindset right now on the U.S. economy? And, and obviously part of this plays in with what we're seeing with the coronavirus and, and the increasing number of cases in places like Texas and Florida.
1: And we are seeing two fundamental tug of wars. One is between reopenings that are contributing to a very healthy V in the high-frequency economic numbers, and two, but that against health concerns that are mounting. That's the first, if you like, disconnect that, that, that one has to navigate through. And then the second disconnect is, has to do with a very unsynchronized global economy. I think the, what you're going to see in the U.S. economy is initially what looks like a V, but will soon turn out to be more like a square root sign. That means we come back up sharply in the first few months, and then we start flattening out. The weight of flattening out will depend on whether we get our arms around the new spread of COVID-19 and whether policy is supportive in a pro-productivity manner.
0: You've given us a new term now that we have to add in we've had the the Nike swoosh added into the recovery now you've given us the square root swoosh
1: yeah it's a little bit flatter than, than, than the check mark before yeah. and I think that's because we're realizing that healthy reopenings are not like flicking a switch um, it, it, you're going to get there but you're going to get there in an iterative process
0: uh, in a week from Friday we get another jobs report and, and, and last, Month We saw two and a half million jobs added back into the economy. What are your expectations for these monthly reports, at least, you know, in the short term?
1: They're going to be very noisy. Um, They're going to be noisy because there's so many moving pieces right now. I think the one thing that we all need to look at is whether job losses are trickling up. What do I mean by that? They started by being focused on small and medium-scaled entities, particularly in the service sector. We're now getting evidence that larger companies are thinking not just about resizing, but what they call right-sizing, sizing for a different economy. And you're starting to hear announcements of layoffs from the large companies. That's going to be critical going forward in terms of our ability to get back to an unemployment rate well below 10%.
0: How important then are the weekly unemployment claims reports to you in this entire process?
1: I spend a lot of time looking at them and looking at other high frequency because they give you an indication of one side of the labor force. What they don't tell you is how much rehiring is going on. And, you know, continuing claims at $20 million, that's a concern, and new claims at $1.9 that's still a concern. So the hope is we're getting a lot of rehiring on, on the other side, but we we'll get some indication of that, like you said, with the next monthly report.
0: And this kind of goes to something you've talked about as the potential of a little bit of a head fake here?
1: That's a concern, that that, that the, the the data in the beginning is so noisy that you may get a head fake. That's particularly important when it comes to the policy focus. We need to evolve the policy approach from relief to relief plus making sure that we counter the downward pressure on productivity and growth. That is part of the deglobalization process. That is part of the industrial concentration process. So, it's important that policymakers don't lose focus right now.
0: You mentioned a moment ago about, you know, single-digit unemployment. And, and that's something that was brought up earlier in the show. And I guess at least for now is getting under 10 percent kind of the goal of, of the recovery at this point?
1: Yes, it's, it's, it's important to get there quickly. Um, we know a few things about the labor force. And that is one, one of the important things is the longer unemployment remains at a high level, the more it gets structurally embedded into the economy. It gets structurally embedded because people lose dynamism and also people drop out of the labor force, they become discouraged. And the last thing we need right now is a combination of a high unemployment rate that then leads to a lower labor participation rate. This is of special concern with minorities and with women and we have to make sure that that doesn't happen because their engagement in a healthy economy and a well-paid economy is key not just to economic issues but also to social issues
0: uh... a fourth round of financial relief for americans uh... is it a question of when not if at this point
1: it's also a question of if because, unfortunately, people have read too much into the employment report. I think we do need a targeted, and I stress a targeted relief component, but we also need a forward-looking component. We need to move quickly, Dan, on infrastructure, on labor retooling, labor retraining, on making sure we have better safety net to reduce household economic insecurity. So you need a combination of a targeted relief component with a forward-looking pro-growth component.
0: Mohammed, as always, great to have you with us. Great insight. Look forward to talking to you again down the road, sir.
1: I do. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. Mohamed Arian, Chief Economic Advisor for Allianz and Global Senior Fellow at the Lauder Institute for Management and International Studies here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.